This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamecom slash donate. Thank you for listening. The scripture that was read came from the first chapter of Acts, the third verse through the ninth verse. But allow me to lift up for one moment and just for emphasis, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Today is a day that we remember and celebrate the Pentecost event. For those of you that may be unfamiliar, it is an event recorded in the second chapter of Acts where the disciples were all together on one accord and in one place when the scriptures tell us that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were sitting. The text then tells us that they all saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and other languages as the Spirit enabled them. In this unique moment, God worked powerfully in the men and the women of the early church, but far too often and especially on days like today, we try to recreate that moment as if by our own efforts, we can duplicate it. But no one can duplicate any moment in history, no matter how wonderful it might have been. So as we study these first few chapters of Acts, our aim is to discover principles which when they are understood in their proper context have the potential, hear me church, have the potential to revitalize the Christian experience. We probably will not abandon our old ways, however we may be able to make a fresh new commitment to our faith that we profess and to see that that same God is still alive with us today and fully able to work just as powerfully in us as he did then. But as I meditated on this text, I'm drawn to the fact that Jesus tells us something very specific when he says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He then goes on to say, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised and that you have heard me talk about. There is something unique about this gift, and I want to try to understand it in the context in which Jesus uses it. Therefore, in studying this gift, 
I've titled today's message, quite simply, The Other Baptism. The Other Baptism. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have come to the preaching hour. Take, O oh God, my heart and mold it. Take my mind, transform it, and take my will and conform it to yours. Send your Holy Spirit power one more time upon this preacher and make this message and this preacher live. This we pray. This I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text in Acts, the first chapter and the third verse, begins with these words. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we're told that he made many appearances to various people and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. We also know that he had a bodily resurrection because he ate and he had his disciples even touch him and put their fingers in his wounds. All of these serve to provide infallible proof that he had, in fact, been raised from the dead. Now, after being raised from the dead, Jesus hung around, the text tells us, for about 40 days. In some instances, he appeared to over 500 people at the very same time, as attested to in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and the 6th verse. So for Jesus to be hanging around for so long, it must mean that he had something very specific and very important to accomplish post his resurrection. But in order to understand what that something was, we need to look very closely at what Jesus does and says during this period. First, the first thing we know is that he made all of these appearances to people because he wanted to have as many witnesses as possible testifying to the truth of his resurrection. It was important that there be as many corroborating witnesses as possible since there were no videos or there were no cell phones to capture the event. He wanted, secondly, as many witnesses as possible to not only say he was resurrected, but he specifically wanted people to attest to his bodily resurrection. In other words, he was not a ghost or some kind of apparition that could easily be explained away as the figment of some sentimental group's imagination that just seemed to love and miss the prophet so much that anything that passed would look like Jesus. Third, he says these words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, in these three examples that I've just shared, the key thing to pull out of this is the word witness. Everywhere you turn, this word shows up in Jesus' ministry, witness. 
Again, in the 40 days after Jesus has miraculously been raised from the dead, bodily, in bodily form, he appears to over 500 people and gave his disciples specific instructions to become witnesses. What's the big deal about being a witness? Why is this so important to Jesus that he would spend so much time witnessing to people about himself and then instructing others to be witnesses about him as well? What is the big deal about being a witness? A good way to explain this is to illustrate. The name Edward Kimball might not mean anything to any of you here listening to this. But he was in fact a shy young man who felt a strong nudge in his soul to risk looking like a fool to share his faith with a shoe salesman. Building up the courage, Edward went to this shoe salesman. He shared his faith and lo and behold, the shoe salesman became a believer in Jesus Christ. That shoe salesman, his name is Dwight L. Moody. Name might be familiar to many of you because he became a very popular world evangelist for his generation. Moody's message crossed all kinds of continents and it reached the ears of a man by the name of Frederick B. Meyer who was a pastor and author who became an evangelist and while speaking at a university a student named Wilbur Chapman was inspired to preach the gospel and ended up hiring a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday to help him with a crusade. Years passed, and one of Billy Sunday's protege, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham, held a crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. And while many people came forward, one of the people that came forward was a tall, skinny young man that many of you might know as Billy Graham. Now, notwithstanding the politics of white evangelicalism, it is undeniable the effect that Billy Graham had in spreading the gospel and being a witness to the message of Jesus Christ. But my larger point is simply this. What made Edward Kimball approach the shoe salesman in the first place? Why did his word affect the man in the way that it did? What would have happened and how would the world have looked if Edward Kimball did not act on being a witness. I ask these questions in this context because I want you to think about the value of your encounter with other people. When you bump into people, whether by accident or even by intent, are they going to walk away from you thinking that they would have been better off if they had not bumped into you or are they going to feel like they were blessed to have been in your presence? Are you the kind of person that people avoid when they see you coming or people are happy to know that you are on your way? The question I'm asking here quite simply is this. What does your witness look like? Brothers and sisters, your witness to what your faith is and to what you believe has within it the power, the power to prove that Christ is either alive 
or dead. I want you to hear what I just said. Your witness has contained within it the power, the power to prove that Jesus Christ is either alive or dead. Your witness has power. This is why it is so important and why Jesus would have been hanging around for 40 days after his resurrection because he knows contained in your words, contained in your witness has the power to change lives by proving he is yet alive. The text says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Clearly, brothers and sisters, Jesus is making a distinction between John's baptizing with water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what is that distinction? What's the difference between the two, despite the obvious? Let's look at John, the first chapter, and the 29th through the 34th verses. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Let me say that again. John said, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed. John then goes on to say, I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Right away, we see that John became a credible witness that Jesus was who he said he was and that he was yet alive. John the Baptist says the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed. In other words, John's baptism with water was a signal of the Christ that was to be revealed. And here, John himself makes the distinction when he says, listen, listen, I baptize with water, but he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism served as a witness to reveal Christ. Without John's baptism, John would not know who the Christ was. And John needed to know who the Christ was because John, the text tells us, was the forerunner. Now, 
Pastor, what's the real difference between the baptism with water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, what's the difference? And I ask the question because we know from the text that John's baptism was one, done with water, Two, was a sign of repentance. Three, was for the forgiveness of sin. And fourth, a way for John to identify the Christ. But we also know that there was another baptism to be had. And that this one was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we have to use the same methodology in understanding the John's baptism so we can get a clue to understanding this other baptism. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Here's what we know from the text. Number one. The disciples were to wait for Jesus, for this gift in Jerusalem. In other words, they could not just go and catch it. They had to wait for it. And many of us like to talk about catching the Holy Ghost. You have to wait for it where Jesus says at the appointed time and when you are on one accord. Secondly, it says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me pause here for a moment. There is a big but right in the middle of that statement. In order to understand what that but means, you have to look at what it is contrasting. Now, the only thing that is similar between the you'll be baptized with water or baptized with the Holy Spirit is the use of that word with. The with lets me know Brothers and sisters, let me explain. The with lets me know that the methodologies are the same. You are baptized with water. That requires someone to immerse you in the water. So John baptized with water. The water baptism was done by John. But the with also lets us know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is also with, meaning someone has to baptize you with the Holy Spirit in the same way that it was done with water. I hope you're following me. So the point here is there is a similarity in method, but the but lets us know that there is a difference in substance. What was the difference between the baptism with water and the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Both were about methodology, but one was about substance. Jesus is the one that immerses you in his Holy Spirit. John baptized you and immersed you in water, but Jesus baptizes you and immerses you in his Holy Spirit. How do I know this to be true? Look at the text. For John baptized with water, Jesus says, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But John says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? Many people miss this. 
And they're waiting for, for supernatural things to happen because we read in the Acts, oh, the Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind. And everywhere we go, we're laying hands on people trying to recreate a moment. But the fact of the matter is, John baptized with water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that dips you in the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, now the disciples went on further to say, are, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus says, it is not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Here again, we see the word witness. The word witness it, it's prominent in everything that I'm sharing with you this morning. Jesus is looking for a few good witnesses that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit with the other baptism. As I stated before, John's baptism served as a witness to reveal Christ. Without John's baptism, John would not know who the Christ was. And John needed to know because John was the way maker. He was the forerunner. And the word baptized, it really means dipped or immersed. And in this context, it is about uniting with. This is why the text tells us they were all on one accord. You had to be united with Christ in the same way that you were united in John's baptism. But I want to go a little deeper. John's baptism was a sign of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism was man-initiated, man-administered, and man-executed using the natural means of water. It was incomplete at best, and it could not sustain the deep spiritual condition that you and I find ourselves in. It did little to unite you and me to Christ. So there had to be another baptism. This other baptism was not done with water as a sign of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. This other baptism had to be God-initiated, God-administered, and God-executed. This other baptism had to be Jesus himself taking you personally and immersing you in the sweet, pure water of his Holy Spirit. This other baptism had to be a complete work that could never be undone or annulled. And the greatness of Christ was seen in the fact that while John identified people with himself by water baptism, Jesus Christ would unite his followers to himself by the Holy Spirit. And when you have been united to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, your witness about him becomes incarnate power. In other words, your witness has within it the power to prove that Christ is real and that he is alive. So Jesus again says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and to the uttermost parts of the world. The text is clear. The purpose of the other baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can speak in an unknown tongue, though that might be possible. The purpose of the other baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can lay hands on people and then they get slain in the Spirit, though that may be possible. The purpose of the other baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not that you can be endowed with gifts or, or abilities that allows you to do things that no one else seems to be able to do because you are anointed, though that may be possible. And many of us, we're not only anointed, but we're annoying. That's not the purpose of the other baptism. The purpose, hear me church, of the other baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to give you power that will enable you to be witnesses for the kingdom of God. It is just that simple. Even on this Pentecost Sunday, that we remember that the Holy Spirit came and descended upon all those who were on one accord and they started to speak in unknown tongues as they were talking. Other people were amazed at what they were saying because they were hearing the language in the tongues that they spoke. What were they saying? They were saying the gospel was being preached and enabled by people who without the power to be witnesses could not have done it. So when we talk about Edward Kimball and that part of him that was so afraid and he was so scared and so shy to go and share his faith with that shoe salesman, Dwight Moody, brothers and sisters, he was able to overcome his fear and his trepidation because he had the power of the Holy Spirit to become a witness that Jesus Christ is alive. The baptism of the Holy Spirit or the other baptism works in a way that just as John's baptism revealed who Jesus Christ was and that others would know him, the other baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit works to allow Christ to be known through you when you are identified with Christ Jesus. That's real power. The power is in your testimony and in your witness. Listen, as I make this plain, when Jesus says, greater things than these that you see him do, you will do, simply means that when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, people all over the world will see Jesus in us, and God, our Father in heaven, will be glorified. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection from the dead at the same time. And guess what? In you and in me, because of our witness, he is appearing to billions today, even right now through social media. Greater things are being done. Greater witnesses is taking place right now by everyone, myself included, in saying to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus 
is alive. And Jesus still saves for those who will yet call on his name. For the truth is, with the other baptism, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You will be his witnesses all over the continental United States and in Zambia and in Nicaragua and in Guatemala, every country with every tribe and every tongue. That is the power of the Pentecost moment. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses all over the world. And that is the reason for the other baptism. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.